Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to, to go there. Uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, hey, listen, everybody should have the free YouVersion Bible app on your phone. It puts the Bible at your fingertips. It helps you learn how to, hey, how do I even start reading the Bible? What do I do? Is it a regular book? Do I just start at the beginning and read page one and keep going? Uh, you know, there's so much to it, and we want our church, we're passionate about our church being biblically literate. That doesn't make you some weird Bible thumper. It just means that you're hungry to know God more. And, uh, and so we encourage, so like we, we bring Bibles to church. If you don't have one, that's okay. YouVersion Bible app. And if you don't have that, it's okay. We're gonna help you by putting it up on the screen uh, behind us as well. So I'm gonna read from Ephesians chapter two. And uh, I'm gonna read verses one through 10. And I want you to follow along with me as I read this. And this is gonna kind of paint the picture for where we're going uh, with the series this morning. Book of Ephesians, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And uh, one of the churches that he helped start not too long after his own conversion experience of having a relationship with Christ. And, uh, and this is what he's telling the church in Ephesus. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, I can identify with that. You once lived in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, somebody say all. all. The rest of you say all. all. All right, now you're getting it. All of us used to live that way. Even all you fancy religious people that think you're better than everybody else. You all used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. Check this out. By our very nature, not the sinners, point at your, yourself, by my very nature, I, I'm kind of switching the, the pronouns here, is that okay? I was subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, somebody say, but God. But God. Usually whenever you see that phrase show up, something really cool is about to happen. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is one of those kind of famous lines in the Bible. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all or so yeah, that's right. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Last two verses here. Hold that applause because this is where it gets really good. God, sa <laughs> God saved you by his grace when you believed. And so your belief unlocks the grace of God. And you, can take, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Maybe you don't feel like that this morning. That's okay. God created you as his masterpiece. It says that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long, long 
ago. Now, I know we're, we're a new series today again. I encourage everybody to take notes. We're, we're a note-taking church. And the reason why is because what we do on Sunday isn't so that you can just feel good about Sunday and you can check your box. Hey, I went to church. I did my religious duty. Uh, I feel like I'm a better person now because I sat in a different building in a particular seat. No, that doesn't do anything. What we do on Sunday is meant to speak to your Monday through your Saturday. That's what church is supposed to be. People are like, I don't need church. It's like, well, you're gonna need something for Monday through Saturday. And some people can come in after Saturday. Maybe you're pumped up, fired up after a great week. Or maybe you're like clawing yourself back in with one finger after a rough week. But we get back to the house of God. We get back to the presence of God where all of us together can corporately build each other up, have community, have family, have relationship that is going to inspire purpose in you, encourage life, and build faith in you. That's what the church is for. And yes, you need the church. You do need, yeah, but the church is messed up. Well, yeah, people are in it, of course. What were you expecting? You're like, church is full of hypocrites. Well, so is the world. We're just in a different building right now. Okay. Well, that was my intro or not. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> um, I, I, one of the things I said to our, to our dream team at the beginning, like going into our summer, and, and I feel like it was a, I, feel, I really do feel like it was a prophetic word for our church something that God was speaking into our church to kind of give us a picture of, of where we are headed in the, in the, the immediate near future, is that during the summertime, because sometimes in the summer, it's, it's time to chill, right? It's time to relax. It's time to kick back. You know, I've been working hard. You know, the, if you got kids, kids have been in school, now they're out. It's, okay, let's coast through the summer a little bit. And, and I really do believe that what God was speaking for us, for this church, for Convo Church, is that for us, actually, summer is gonna be a season of growth, uh, spiritual growth, maturity growth, relational growth. I believe it's gonna be a season even for our church of numeric growth. For us, we actually, if you're new, we actually do care about numbers. I think numbers matter because a number is a person and a number is a life, a number is a relationship, a number is a soul. So for us, numbers absolutely do matter. And so we're, we're trying to speak in this particular season uh, to what God wants to speak here so that we can continue to grow. Because, and I wanna tell you, maybe you don't know this, but usually there are two big growth seasons in the church world throughout the year. One of them is in September, and it's, it's almost obvious because summer's coming to an end, life is kind of getting back in order, kids are going back to school, vacations are over, and kind of like regular routine is coming back, right? And so that's the time where really most people who are not uh, in church or not connected, or maybe they've been apart, but they've kind of been doing their own thing, begin to want to reconnect. And there actually studies have proven that that season, that September timeframe, more people are open to even your own invitations to them to come and check out what you've found yourself to be a part of. Because everybody's hungering for something. And what's crazy is that we feel like we're relaxing in the summer, but what actually is happening for most people is that those who were even in a spiritual pursuit of a relationship with God prior to that in the winter and in the spring, summer actually becomes something where we're not just detaching from the crazy pace of life. Sometimes we accidentally end up detaching from our own relationship with God because we have a hard time compartmentalizing in our brain the different things that we're trying to disconnect from. 
And so all of a sudden we're relaxing in summer, we're disconnecting, haven't been to church in a while. That's not you guys, you're here. But we're disconnecting, haven't been in a while, and, and all of a sudden we wonder why some of these things start coming back into my life, into my thought process, and why, am I, why, why I'm, I'm sh- should be relaxing. Why am I arguing with my wife more than I have before? My kids are, you know, I love my kids and they're at home, I get to be with them more. Why is it more frustrating? And we find ourselves, we've disconnected from the thing that is feeding our spirit to make us healthy throughout the season. So, so we have an opportunity to actually get ahead of that and to say, hey, yeah, we're gonna have some chill time in the summer, but I'm not gonna let my soul take a break because my soul is craving something that I need to continue to feed it. Can some, somebody say amen to that to kind of help? All right, just to help get that going. Uh, Amazing Grace. Anyone ever heard that song before? That old hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's, one of, that's the most famous hymn, Christian song, most recognized all over the world. On average, I looked it up because I don't know, on average, it gets played every year around 11 million times throughout the year. Isn't that crazy? And so pretty much almost anywhere in the world that you would go, you could say uh, the first couple of lines to, those, to that song, and most people would pick it up and they could at least finish that, you know, that second line, then it gets a little bit more memorization towards the end. But amazing grace, you know, and, and I think about in my own life, the amazing grace of God. And so I think if I can help us as a church begin to walk into a season of having a summer soul, a, a strong soul, one that is going to help me continue to be healthy and feel good. Maybe it's not just about the feelings, but it's good to feel good. It's like, well, I don't want to feel good. Well, wouldn't you want to feel, that's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you want to feel good? We want our soul to feel good because as our soul exists, so the rest of us will prosper. Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your will. Your soul is your emotions. And here's the crazy thing. All three of those components are giant factors in everybody's life. Doesn't matter who you are. One of the biggest things that we deal with today in our modern society is mental health issues. And it's real, and it's hurting a lot of people. And, and, and it's good that and now more than ever we're talking about some of these things because people are now knowing, hey, it's okay for me to not be okay, and it's okay for me to talk about these things and to, and to ask for help. It's not, I'm not a crazy person because I'm asking for help. I'm just a person. Yeah. And so if we, we're, everyone's wrestling with the, with the issues of the mind, of, with our will, with our emotions. And so I figure there's no better way to tackle this new series and having that summer soul than for us to start off by talking about the grace of God, talking about the amazing grace of God. And, and, and let me just, to all of our folks here that maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, man, don't you dare try to disconnect. Oh, I've read all the scriptures about grace. Oh, I've done all this. I, know, I already know everything. So I'm gonna check out. You go ahead and talk to all the newbies and tell them about grace because here's the deal. Here's the deal. And this is something I've been so guilty of in my own life is that I, I look at grace as something that gets me into a relationship with God. And then maybe not on purpose, but what ends up happening is I begin to uh, uh, walk out the rest of my relationship with God under my own strength. Does that make sense? That's going to that's gonna connect to somebody. And so we have, unfortunately, in the church world, we have used grace as the front door to a relationship with God, and we have rejected grace as being the very thing that sustains us every single day of our life. So I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to give us some definition so that we can kind of all be on the same page because here's, um, here's something that we have to tackle in our culture. And it's something that has, uh, you know, even since my generation, this whole, the whole uh, postmodern movement, 
of taking something that has always had meaning, that has always had purpose, always had definition, and then I take it and I say, well, this is what it means for me. Well, that's not what it means for me. And so at first, when that started happening, it was a conflict, but eventually people began to kind of back away from that conflict and we settled on this notion that, well, it's, it can mean to you what you need it to mean to you and it can mean to me what I need it to mean to me. And even if what it means to me and what it means to you completely contradict each other, it's okay because we don't want that conflict. That's basically postmodernism in, in a nutshell. And so we have taken the grace of God in our modern culture and we have applied it to how it means to me and to how it means to you and to how it means to them and to how it means to whoever. And we have taken something that is literally in the kingdom of God, I would say arguably the most powerful term that exists, maybe outside of salvation itself, and we have turned it into something that has been diluted and watered down to mean nothing more than a Band-Aid that we slap on our sin whenever we mess up. And it was never meant to be that. All right, definition, definition, here we go. All right, uh, grace, and this is kind of the most common, it's accurate, but it's the most common, most understood uh, definition is the unearned, unmerited favor of God, which means there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's, there's no merit, there's no good works that you can do. And over a period of time, you've gotten the gold star on your report card and God says, now I can give you grace because you have earned it. If you remember what we just read in Ephesians, it says that grace is a gift from God. I don't know about you, but when I, you know, when I you know, would have a, a birthday party and I was a kid and I wanted people to give gifts, you know, I wasn't thinking to myself, all right, I wonder if I have done anything to earn these gifts that they're about to give me. No, as a kid, I'm thinking, here come the gifts. What do you do when people give you gifts? You take it. And yes, you say, thank you. You should, that's proper. If you have manners, if you have manners, you say, thank you. And so we, we've, uh, we, we, in some of our, our, our breaking down of this word grace, the incorrect way, we have taken grace and we, even though we say it's, free, it's a free gift, we say it's something that God desires to give freely for everybody, what we actually do is we say, okay, I see, thank you for that gift. Now let me put it on the shelf and as soon as I've done everything that I can do to earn what you've given me, then I will embrace what you've given me. And God is saying that, that kind of takes away the whole point of it being a gift. It's not a paycheck. It's a gift, a paycheck you work for. And then at the end of a pay period, if you've done what you were supposed to do, then you get a paycheck. But grace, a gift, is something that is given to you regardless of if you've done anything at all to earn it. And that's what grace is. But honestly, I feel like when I look at, at this definition, I feel like it, it's just so like, it, uh, it just doesn't capture it. It doesn't really give us the, the full version. And, and so I think grace literally is everything God has for you that you are unworthy to obtain, too sinful to earn, and too finite to fully even comprehend. So grace is something that unlocks everything that God wants to pour into your life. His love, his kindness, his mercy, the blessings of God, the gifts of God that are even without repentance. There are things that God wants to unlock and unleash in your life that will blow your mind and take things to a whole nother level that we are missing because we have not yet embraced the full measure of grace. Can you, can you touch three people and say, hey, it's a grace encounter. It's a grace encounter. Some of you are looking around and be like, should I, should I, touch, I don't know, should I touch that person? We, haven't, we didn't meet during the 60-second convo. I don't know if I should. Actually, that's the title for today's message. If you're taking notes, and again, we encourage you to do so, to, to read over this during the week, meditate over this during the week. Uh, the message today is The Grace Encounter, part one of this series.
Grace is meant to propel you forward in transformation, not just uh, not to just uh, not justify you staying the same. Let me say that one more time because I didn't read it very nicely. Grace is meant to propel you forward in transformation, not justify you staying the same way. The work of grace, the effect of grace in your life has always been meant to propel you forward. If you will, grace is the, is the, the catalyst of our own spiritual uh, metamorphosis. If you will, it's the, it's the caterpillar. It's the process that takes a caterpillar and turns it into a butterfly. And, uh, and what we have unintentionally done in our culture is we have taken this word and instead of it being something that is supposed to transform us into the craziest, best version of what God created us to be, we have used it as the tool that allows us to reset every time we go back into what God has already delivered us from. So grace was never meant to be just an apology. Well, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but, you know, grace of God, so I'm, I'll, be, I'll be good. He's going to forgive me. But that's not what that's for. It's like, well, will he? Will he forgive me? Yes, of course he will. He will forgive you. Forgiveness is there for the taking. But grace is there to propel you forward not to allow you to stay the same where you are. Another song that we sang this morning, and, and the songs that we sing, and, and, and again, I always like to explain some of these things because what we do as a church is to help people that you're, you're not familiar with any of this. So the songs that we sing are Bible-based songs that, that, that help us with our own words because there's power when we speak our words, right? There's power in what you say. We are literally, we're saying what the Bible says about who God is and about uh, how he desires to interact with us and the life that we can have through a relationship with God. And we're, we're singing that song, I think it was the second one, where it's talking about uh, brokenness and, and how so many Christians treat brokenness as, as the, the state that you will just always have to exist in. And God is so good because he helps me feel better in my brokenness. And, and that's not what we're singing. We're singing, I once was broken. I was broken. I was a sinner. I was addicted. I was a hot mess. But here's the cool thing about when the grace of God gets applied to your life, it begins to take you from that state of brokenness. It takes you from that state of addiction. It takes you from that state of being a sinner, which we all were, and it takes us into a transformation of being a Jesus follower because we were never supposed to continue to struggle in the things that we were in before we met God. We were never supposed to. That's not, if someone's ever told you that that's just the way it's supposed to be and that you're always gonna struggle with that, that's always gonna be who you are, it's always gonna be a part of your identity and that one day when we get to go to heaven, all of that will be wiped away and they're, they're, not, they're not speaking from the word of God. They're not speaking truth. Amen. It's maybe easier to accept because it makes you feel better about how messed up things are. But God doesn't want you to be okay with being messed up. Yes. It's like it's okay to recognize that you're not okay. But what's not okay is to stay that way because God's grace is there to propel you in a different direction. As a matter of fact, let me, let me read this story to you. And this is where we're going to kind of have our main thought and wrap up. It's in the book of Acts. You know, I talked a couple of times today about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't always the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, he was much uh, well-known before that. Um, he had a different name. His name was Saul. And, uh, and actually, I don't know if you knew this or not, but sometimes in the Bible when you hear somebody having a different name, 
it's because like something happened and God changed their name. God never changed his name from Saul to Paul. Um, God changed his purpose because his name Saul was actually his Hebrew name. His name Paul was actually his Greek name, which is just a translation. And so Paul was actually, he was kind of like a, he had blood on both sides of the line. He was, all, he was Jewish, but he was also Roman. He was also Gentile. And so it was funny, he was known as Saul because he was a religious leader, he was a zealot, he was, he was, he was, a, he was hardcore, but he was missing the Jesus component. And, and God did transform his life, and this is where we find him right now. In Acts chapter 9, let me read these verses to you. <clears throat> if I can get there, here we go. Starting in verse 1, chapter 9, there's some things that had happened in chapter 8. And it says, meanwhile, Saul, this is the guy we're talking about, was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That's, all right, can we just pause for a second? Can we not look over that word? He wasn't just trying to make it hard for Jesus' followers. He wasn't just trying to like make them have a bad day. He wasn't trying to hurt their feelings. It says that he was stinking trying to kill them. Okay, so can we just grasp that for a moment? He was a killer and he was looking to kill people who were Jesus' followers. And it says, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues uh, in Damascus, asking for their cooperation uh, in, in the arrest of the followers of the way. That's what they called that movement back then, the way. And I kind of I like that. It's kind of nice. Um, and so he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. It says, as he approached Damascus, check this out. As he was approaching Damascus on the mission, he's on mission. He's already on mission. Just, you got to... Pay attention to the words as we go through this. There's not just, don't just get past it. It says, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's like, who are you, Lord? And if you're reading this, it's a lowercase L. So it's just, he wasn't recognizing him as Lord and Christ and Savior. He was recognizing whatever just happened as some authority figure. It says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It says, then Paul stood speechless for they, or the men with, Paul, with Saul stood speechless, easy for me to say, for they had heard someone's voice, but they saw no one. That's, can you imagine being there? Like you, you're hearing this interaction taking place and you're, you know, you're looking around. Saul just got knocked off of his uh, donkey and he's sitting on his, on his hind parts, freaked out. The guys are hearing something, but they're looking around. They don't see anything. And it says that he, he Saul picked himself up from the ground and, uh, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. <laughs> we'll come back to that. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and he remained uh, there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I don't think I would have either. That would have been a freaky experience. All right, so let me go down to verse 17 here. And uh, so Ananias, now Ananias was one of the uh, uh, leaders of that time in the way. He was a respected prophet and man within uh, as Jesus' follower. And God spoke to Ananias and said, hey, you know that guy who's uh, been killing all the Christians and put him in prison? Uh, yeah, I think I've heard about this guy. Well, he's, he's here. Oh, great, that's, that's, good to, that's great to hear. Oh, I need you to go and meet him. I need you to go pray for him to receive his sight. I'm gonna use him to do great things. I'm sorry, you want me to what? You gotta put yourself in this moment. He's not going to send you to talk to somebody who simply does not believe in Jesus, to just share your faith with them. He's going to send Ananias to pray for somebody who came to that very town with the intention on mission to capture and to put in chains and to kill Christians, of which he was one. <clears throat> and he says, he laid his hands 
So he found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, and you can almost feel the grace even in his own voice speaking to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and guess what happened immediately? He was baptized. You know, we say that week in and week out. When you give your life to Jesus, don't, don't tell me that you're not ready to take your next step to get baptized because it's not an educational step. It's a faith step. It's a faith step. You're like, I need to know more scripture. I need to understand. The only thing you need to understand is that you are dirty and covered in sin and God wants to wash you clean and set you on a journey as a Jesus follower, no longer who you used to be. Now you live in the grace of God. That's a plug for baptisms coming up at the end of July. Anyway, so the scales fell from his eyes. He, re he regained his sight. And it says, then he got up and was baptized. He, he finally ate something, so that was good. He was starting to calm down. But check this out. It says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately, not years later, not after he went to seminary, not after he went through the 12-step discipleship program, immediately he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Now, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for this crazy encounter, this crazy display of the grace of God on Saul's life, number one, we'd be missing two-thirds of what we get to read in the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit inspired through Paul to write for the churches, not just the churches then, but it even applies to us now. So when I, there are three things, and I don't even, I'm probably gonna get to two of them, so I'm gonna give you, there are two things that I wanna pull from this for you to take home this week, and I want you to think about Monday through Saturday. I want you to read this account. I want you to see if you are working this in your own life. And the first one is this, a grace encounter will stop you in your tracks. A grace encounter will stop you in your tracks. Saul did not do anything to deserve God getting in his way to love on him. Saul didn't do anything to attract the attention of God for the purpose of saying, well, Saul, I know you've been killing all, all the Christians and everything. I just wanna show my love to you, man. I just wanna love you. You're just doing such a great job of being against what I'm trying to build. I just wanna love you. He's like, no, that, he did nothing to deserve what God was doing. But I tell you what, when you encounter the grace of God, it should be an encounter that stops you in your tracks, that keeps you from uh, going and doing what you've been intending to do or from doing the things that you have been doing that have been producing death, that have been producing broken relationships, that have been producing hangovers, that have been producing empty bank accounts, that have been producing brokenness in your workplace. There should be something when you encounter the grace of God that stops you dead in your tracks. Jesus reveals himself to Saul supernaturally because of his great love. Now check this out. Grace led to repentance, and repentance unlocked the fullness of grace. So like, well, which is it? Do you get grace before or do you get grace after? It's a great question. The answer is yes. You get grace before because grace is what captures you when you never deserved to be made aware of the love of who God is. But grace is what sustains you to follow after everything that God has for you. Let me, let me throw something, this is not a new theology at all. But this, I think, is a better explanation of what the Bible is trying to communicate and how we communicate about this in the world. Salvation. Bible, we just read it in Ephesians. We are saved by grace. We have to stop looking at salvation as just being the eternal component. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, 
We see Jesus constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus came as an expression of heaven on earth. He came to show us what earth was meant to look like when heaven invades it. Jesus came to show us that, the, that our world was never meant to just exist in a state of brokenness. That when heaven invades earth, that's when people who are sick are made heal, made whole. That's when people who are broken are put back together and fixed and made new. When, 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 the, when heaven invades, when we, heaven's not just gonna invade earth on its own, heaven is going to come through the conduits that contain the spirit of God to bring that reality alive and visible for everybody around it. So yes, when you say yes to Jesus as your personal Lord and your savior and you re repent from the life that you've been living and you decide I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus forgive me, boom, done, it's done. Not like, well, you know, it's okay, all right, I forgive you, but. There's no but in God's forgiveness. I'm so grateful for that. There's no but in God's forgiveness. There's forgiveness and that's it, you're done. That doesn't exist anymore in the mind of God. Whether it was years ago or whether last night or this morning, it's gone. And so we stop, we're like, okay, good. I'm saved for eternity. I don't have to go to hell, I'm going to heaven. Now I just have to go back to the hell that's work on Monday morning. So here's the deal. You need to be saved for eternity, boom, that's done. That's assurance of your salvation. And then you need to be saved on Monday morning. Some of y'all are like, wait, 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 wait. Like, we lose it? No. Because the Bible tells us that we are also being saved every day. What's being saved every day? It's not your, it's not your spirit. Because that was done, boom, at the moment of faith. But guess what is being saved every day? Because you pursue grace, your soul. I don't know about you, sometimes on Monday morning when I wake up, my mind's gotta get saved again. I'm not talking about how I'm gonna go to hell if I don't. I'm talking about how my day's gonna be hell if I don't get my mind saved again. I don't know about you, but my, my emotions need to get saved again because even though church was fantastic, I wake up Monday morning for some reason want to punch a hole in the wall. Why? I don't know, probably because my emotions need to get saved again because I need to stop just relying on grace to be something that gets me to eternity and realize that grace is something I need to get to Monday and something that I need to get to Tuesday. It's something that I need to get when I face my boss at work and when there's that employee that I just can't stand and, and I, I'm not gonna be able to take it anymore. I'm not, I have to quit this job. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I can't do it no more. And God's saying, yes, you can. You just need grace for the moment. We need the grace of God every day. We need to stop dumbing down grace as being something that says, all right, I know I'm not supposed to be fooling around. I know that person's married and I shouldn't be in that affair with this individual. And I know I love Jesus. I know I don't wanna go to hell. I wanna go to heaven, don't wanna go to hell. But you know what? I know God's gonna forgive me. And I'm just, just one more time. That's not what grace is for. I'm not talking about that, that wimpy grace that's been watered down, that means nothing. I'm talking about the grace of God that takes you, stops you in your tracks, changes the way that you think, gives you new eyes, and propels you forward in the call that God has on your life. <clears throat> Check this out. Uh, grace has to stop you first because often, often your direction doesn't need to change but the purpose of your direction needs to change. Paul was on his way to Damascus to stink and kill Christians. Guess where he went after his conversion? To Damascus. He still went to the same place where he was on mission without Jesus to go. Our society right now is like, oh, I'm a community, I'm on mission, I'm accomplishing something, I'm saving animals, I'm saving trees, I'm in, and all that's great. I mean, we're not anti that at all. 
But listen, sometimes the purpose you have, God wants to continue to push you in that direction, but he wants to change your purpose. Instead of you going to work because your purpose is a paycheck, God wants to encounter you with grace and he wants to fill you with his love and his spirit and he wants to change your purpose. So now you're still going to work, but now you're going on a different mission. Just because your, your, your marriage relationship is struggling doesn't mean that you need to get out of that one to find a better one. It means you need to continue on that mission, but with a different purpose. Not a purpose to be satisfied by the other person, but a purpose for you to be the one that is going to unconditionally love the person that God brought into your life. You don't have to quit your job and become a preacher. That's not what God's calling most people to do. You need to stay where you are, but stop with an encounter with grace. Encounter the love of God and be propelled forward right where you already are, but now with his purpose. Because his purpose is what's going to propel you forward. And then last but not least, and this is number two, I guess. <laughs> Whatever, some of y'all got like, you're on number six. And you're like, wow, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do now. Write it down as you will. Label it as you desire. A grace encounter will change your vision. Now here's, here's something that's really cool, and this is what I wanna kinda wrap it up at this point. It says that after Paul got knocked off his donkey, it says that when he stood up, he, he couldn't see, he was blind. You know what's ironic? Paul was always blind. Let me rephrase that. Saul was always blind. We, we run around sometimes as blind as a bat thinking that we're doing stuff for God. Saul wasn't doing this because he wasn't religious. He was doing this because he was religious. A religious spirit will try to chase the things of God, missing it by a mile because we're blinded by our own religiosity. It wasn't until he had a grace encounter that he finally realized that he was blind. And it was the healing touch of God and the amazing grace of God that helped remove the scales from his eyes to see what before he couldn't see. And you know why? This, this, is, this is not, this is just my, this is my interpretation for this moment. Check this out. It says that Paul didn't eat or drink for three days. And maybe I would have too, out of this whole thing that's happening, it's a lot. But you know what I think that for three days, as he was by himself, blind, the only thing that he could see was the faces of those that he had tried to help in God's name, the, the families that he destroyed, the opportunities that now he knows he missed, the people that he hurt. And I personally think for those three days, he was replaying to God over and over again, God, I'm so sorry. God, would you forgive me? God, I messed up, I messed up those families. Maybe that's you today. You're like, you know what? Yeah, I've encountered the grace of God. But right now, even as God is pulling the scales off of your eyes right now, all you see is that the way that I've been doing things up to this point has been hurting people. God, would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. What I put my kids through, I thought I was doing the right thing, but now I see that it, I, wasn't put, I wasn't introducing them to a loving God, I was introducing them to a religion, and now my kids don't believe, and now they, they don't like church, and they don't even believe in God, and just receive the grace of God. The grace of God says, hey, it's okay, now you see. 
know, John Newton wrote that hymn, but I, I really feel like those were the words from Paul's life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, was, I once was blind, but now I can see. I'm praying for us. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for our city that God would remove the scales from our eyes and allow us to see things in a whole new light to redirect our mission, to redirect our purpose, to redirect the way that we think, to change our soul so that we stop using grace as something that helps us stay the same and we begin to use grace the way God intended it, which is to catapult us forward in his purpose, in his kingdom, bringing heaven down to earth so that the brokenness in which we live now begins to become transformed, not because of uh, of something that's happening outside of us, but because of something that's happening inside of us. Can I pray for you this morning? This is where we're done. Um, can't continue to live in fake grace, sloppy grace, grace that covers up our sins. Um, grace doesn't cover your sin, the blood of Jesus does. And the reason that the blood of Jesus covers your sin is so that they can be washed away is that, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never used blood to wash something and make it clean. It always leaves a stain, but somehow when the blood of Jesus washes our, our soul, it, it makes it clean and actually white as snow. It's, it's, that, it's that paradigm of impossibility of how the kingdom of God operates. No more fake grace. Come on now. Let's, let's, let's not point at others that do it. Let's lead. Let's just lead in this. No more, no more sloppy grace that excuses our lack of obedience to who God is and to his word. If we're going to encounter grace, let's do it the way God intended. Not the way that you see it, not the way that I see it, not what it means to me, not what it means to you, but what grace means to God. Let's stop making excuses for why things can't change in our life Let's stop making excuses for why I'm this way because that's how it's always been in generations past and that's how it's always gonna be. No, no, no. In the hands of God, things change in a moment. And you have to make a decision today. And maybe it's not an eternal salvation decision. Maybe for many of you, you've already made that decision. You need to be confident in that decision. You need to know that just because you had a bad day since the last time you gave your life to Jesus that you haven't had everything erased out of eternity but you do need to know that today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you're gonna need the grace of God to transform and to bring salvation to your mind, to your will, to your emotions, continually giving those things to the Lord, saying, God, it's not mine, it belongs to you. Would you lead me by your grace? Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.